welcome to our podcast, All About the Car. Brought to you by Sherrill Tire and Service, I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 46 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 42-year veteran of the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. It's great to be back. Missed the last few. Oh, good to see you here, Brian. And Bill Sherrill, a guy that logs a lot of miles behind the wheel in Wisconsin and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thank you. Great to be on the road. Also joining us on the ride today is special guest Randy Warzala of the famed Greenway RV, located just south of Wisconsin Rapids. Happy to have you with us today, Randy. By now, you know, I've always liked to go back in time and throw a little history on the subject. So what do you picture when I say travel trailer? It's safe to say that you probably don't imagine something that looks like a covered wagon, but that's exactly what happened and where it all began. Let's just go back 111 years. Yep, here I go again. In 1910, early adventurers would actually secure a tent to a platform on a set of wheels to create the first tent trailers. At that time, most cars only reached 15 miles an hour, so they would even leave the tents up for the drive home. By 1915, hard-sided travel trailers became available as trailer camping increased in popularity. There were some folks that even took it further. They would build their own camper trailer body to fit right on a Ford chassis. This way, when it was time to go camping, they would simply replace the car body with a custom camper body, and off they went. It wasn't until the 20s that they started to resemble what they are today. Randy, would you think that camping is a lot simpler today than what I just explained? I would say so. I think people back in even 60 years ago or even 40 years ago would say, these people are glamping. Air conditioning? Are you kidding (laughs) me? Right. Well, we've gotten away from the tents, the pop-ups, even though they still exist. And we've gone into more into the hard shell campers, a little more comfort that way, a little more protection from the outside, bears, coyotes, fun stuff like that. (laughs) As we walk through your showroom here at your great facility, uh, glamping came to mind. That word popped up (laughs) because it looks pretty cushy, really nice. I got in and noticed the glamping when you have the heated seat, the outside chair. And the power massage. You need to heat Oh, I did not see massage. one of the uncle. Oh my when, when you get inside one of the campers, there's several name brands that do happen to have the power massage. And you know, after a long, strenuous day of camping, you right. need to fishing, right. hiking. You need to feel that massage and feel more comfortable. I can appreciate that. Who would ever want to go home? You would not. <laughs> I'd rather sure. just be out at the campsite. Of course, towing is a whole different thing. We're talking about tow behind campers at this point, and that's a whole different mindset. I mean, you're not just hopping in your vehicle, backing out of the driveway and heading down the road. You've got something behind you, so that requires a different frame of mind. Correct. You've got something pushing you a lot. And several different things you need to make sure with your towing vehicle is, number one, you need to have a brake control, something that's going to access the brakes on the camper itself. So when you are coming to a stop, or unfortunately, if a deer happens to run in front of you, when you hit the brakes in your vehicle, it helps that trailer stop behind you as well. So it's not pushing you into something you don't want to go into. That's number one. Number two, the other thing you need to be concerned about is making sure your vehicle can tow what you're pulling. Most vehicles do have a maximum weight, depending on if it's travel trailer or fifth wheel. And you need to find out what that is before you purchase your camper. I have a feeling we're going to find out there's a lot more to this than meets the eye as we continue to talk here. <laughs> It's a simple science, but yes, it can be done. And it's what you know, right? It's what you guys do here. Correct. So how much weight do people put with their stuff into a camper that adds to that maximum weight? Depending on the camper and how the person's going to be camping, you've got people who are weekend warriors and they might take only like 50 to 150 pounds. You've got people who dry camp, so they're going to be taking water along with them. 
And when you do that, you're adding 8.3 pounds per gallon of water. If you're taking 30 gallons, that adds up quickly. Sure. Some campers are designed where they can take as much as 1,500 pounds. Some of the larger campers can take as much as 4,000 pounds. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of weight. But you also have people who are living in their campers. You've got people who are taking long trips across the country, four to six months at a time. So they put in, we're talking about glamping, washers and dryers. Wow. (laughs) Dishwashers. Live in made? No, that doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of different things that could make up that weight, and again, it depends on what the frame is designed for. You're always going to have an empty weight of the camper, mm-hmm. and what the maximum gross weight is for the camper itself, what the frame can handle. And then on top of that, of course, you know what your vehicle you're towing with is going to be able to handle. Make sure I always recommend get something that's going to be within 10% of your max gross weight of the camper sure. when you are towing. So. An example would be if you've got a, a camper that has a maximum weight of 8,500 pounds, you want to be in the area of about 9,600 pounds for towing. Give yourself a little bit of a buffer just you to make sure. You always forget something and add it in. Exactly. Now, there are some people who say, well, I can go over that because they build those trucks nice and solid. But keep in mind that there are some federal laws and state laws. And if you're ever, ever in an accident, even if it wasn't your fault, and you're towing yeah. something that's larger than we should be towing, you are at fault for 100% of it. So want to make sure that everybody's insurance policies stay down. Is a heavy-duty truck, let's say a pickup truck, and a large camper required to go through a way station? Not necessarily. It depends on the state, and it also depends on the number of axles you have on the trailer. So if you've got a triple axle, it's highly recommended that you do, because otherwise states might come by and say, hello, we want to talk to you. Uh, Nebraska is notorious for that. Even if it's a dual axle, they might pull you over because you're out of state. So a lot of people try to avoid Nebraska. (laughs) not just for that (laughs) and speaking of single double triple axles that means there's all kinds of different types of travel trailers out there i mean what are some of the different types that you have here that you're familiar with first of all we carry the grand design line grand design starts out with the transcend which is a we call it a stick and tin camper what they have is aluminum siding on those campers the Transcend, where they're specialized, is that they're 20% thicker in their aluminum, so it, hands, it deals with nature a little better than the other companies. You also have their heating system in the camper. Your ductwork, rather than being in the floor, is going to be in the walls. Wow. What that helps out with is that it keeps your floor nice and sturdy, number one. Number two, you don't have to worry about debris falling into your vents, where it just yeah. builds up over time, and all of a sudden you're pulling out a, you know, a little pet critter. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But so Transcend would be what we consider the entry level from Grand Design. In the Imagine line, they have the AIM series that just came out this year that's a single axle. And I would say it's probably the largest single axle style that's out there because their maximum weight is about 4,800 pounds. On a single axle? On a single axle. Wow. But the reason that is is because they're as wide as the standard camper where most of your single axles are going to be narrower and more compact. So it gives you more of an open space. Then you have the dual axle units, the XLS series. They're going to be the smaller campers, usually going up to about 6,500 to 7,000 pounds gross weight. And then above that is the standard Imagine, which can go all the way up to 10,000 pounds gross weight. That's the one with the dishwasher? No. No, no, that's still a pull behind. That's still a pull behind. And the 3100RD is what sticks out in my head. The RD stands for rear den. And the back area actually has two fold-out sleeper sofas and the power massage chairs with the heat <laughs> built in as well. And a little more comfort, a little fireplace helps out as well. There's a story about that as well. I'll get back to later. The next camper you have is going to be the reflection line. 
reflection line. When Grand Design started, they started with the solitude and the momentum. And when people wanted to have something a little more economic, they went to the reflection. And the reflection is still, even though they consider it more economic compared to the solitude, solitude is deluxe. The reflection is going to be a very comfortable camper. If you're looking at a camper you want to be in from one to three months at a time, the reflection is a camper for that. Half of the campers, you have the option of going with a king-size bed. I should point out that all of the Grand Design campers, the minimum bed is going to be a full-size queen, 60 by 80. So you can even use the sheets you have at home for those right. campers. Wow. Nice. Or a lot of campers that have the RV Queen, which is 60 by 74, or even smaller. So comfort-wise, Grand Design's got it built in. In the Reflection, they've got the Travel Trailer Series. There's about six campers there. Then they've got the fifth wheel. They've got the 150 Series, which are designed to be towed by a half-ton truck. I put a little asterisk next to that. The 150 Series, being towed by a half-ton truck, towable, can be anywhere from 5,500 pounds up to 12,000 pounds, depending on the model and design. So these campers are going to be 9,000 pounds to 12,000 pounds gross weight. So you need to know what you're actually towing. And then going to the solitude, now these other mentioned are deluxe. These are the ones people are living in, going around the country four to six months at a time. And again, they do have ample space. When you're sitting in these campers for about five minutes, you forget you're in a camper. And on top of that, you also have the momentum built the same way as the solitude, but the momentum is a toy hauler. And Grand Design for the toy hauler, what they have both Solitude and the Momentums is that their frame is wider out. They don't use outriggers for their frames like every other company does to try to get the wider size. They actually put their frames further out. They have more of an A-style leveling system, which gives you better balance. And when you've got that, you can put more in the bed of the toy hauler. So if you've got a general toy hauler, it might give you up to 2,500 pounds you can put in the back of the garage. So explain a toy hauler. What are you putting back in that? So you basically bring in your Bikes. house or camper right. and your garage. Right. And you, as you say, a garage, yes, your ATV, your UTV, okay. and some people will take their kayaks. Whatever happens to fit, depending on the size of the garage, you can nice. have an eight-foot-long garage, you can have a 16-foot garage. And again, the way the Grand Design garage is built. If your cargo capacity for the camper is 4,500 pounds, which would be for generally a max for the camper, you could put actually 4,500 pounds on the floor of the garage. So all the weight goes in the garage and it would still be fine. Wow. You can't do that in all campers. You were talking about some of the aluminum design for the walls and things like that. What are you, generally speaking, the temperature that people, I mean, it might be variable, but in general, how cold do these units usually go down to with a relative level of comfort. Okay. You will see campers that have a mark on the on the side of the camper that says this is an all-weather trailer. All-weather trailer simply means that it extends your camping season into the winter season if necessary, and then into your spring season. So if you actually, where most people are camping like mid-April to mid-October, you might be able to stretch, stretch it about a month in each direction. However, depending on how you set up your camper, and there are people who will actually put their camper up on blocks and they will put skirting around it to help keep it warm underneath, insulated a little extra underneath, and they'll live in their camper year-round. You'll be using a lot of propane. Again, a trailer is not a house, so while it's insulated, it may not be solidly insulated. Keep that in mind. I will point out that in the Grand Design line, they don't have the padding that could actually sink down which can actually leave areas where air could escape for more heat and where if your AC is in the summertime. So nice thing about that is that that gives them a longer period of insulation, more durability. And again, don't see a whole lot of people using trailers year-round, but I remember when they had the big oil run in the Dakotas, there were a lot of people who were purchasing campers to take them out there, and they were doing exactly that. They were skirting them, 
and they'd get the large propane tanks because they're using a lot of propane through this small little furnace pumping 35,000 BTU and it's eating the camper for them for their place to live. So I was going to ask is, does the industry have any intention of going that way? And I heard you say, no, not really, because the vast majority of users don't camp year round. They shut it down. For the, the key word here is RV is recreational. Okay. So even when you're talking with the banks and your insurance company, they're looking at a camper that's recreational. And people who have a tendency to live in their camper, quotation mark, we call it extended camping. Right. So Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. We're taking an extended trip. I'm taking a business trip. I'm going to be going out here for several months. Okay. Right. That's fine. Okay. You Got just, it. just can't live in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I go back in time, and I always do, and I apologize for this, but I remember the family uh, hopping into the truck, International Harvester truck, pulling a pop-up camper. We get to the campsite. My dad's cranking everything out. All of a sudden, we have this little mini house out there. Our pop-up camper still a thing today? They are. They're not as popular as they used to be. As a matter of fact, we don't carry any here in stock. We can order them for customers if necessary. One thing we do have is what's called a hybrid, which is going to be a fiberglass-sided wall that has pop-outs. And the pop-outs allow you to have more sleeping space and also expands the area for sleeping. Keeps you more comfort because you do have a bathroom where a lot of the pop-ups don't have that option. Right. You don't have to worry about folding up stoves and the like. That's all kind of put in place and you get a more accurate cooking area where it's not as dangerous. So there's a better way now. Yeah, I would say with the campers that are out there today, it would be a little better, yes. Okay, okay. That having a bathroom was just never even a concept back in the no, day that no. you were referring to, I think. You're well. definitely waking up in the middle of the night in the dark and, <laughs> and trying to find that, to, yeah. wherever that was. Why do you think the forests are so green? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Fertilizer. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about choosing the right camper or as you might agree is choosing the right vehicle to pull the camper you want. But let's talk a little bit about that. You talked a little bit about towing capacity already and gross trailer weight. How do you choose the size that's right for you and your family? Well, it's more than just the size. We ask our customers, what is it you want to do on your camping trip? There are some people who want to take the camper to a campsite where it just stays there. You have other people who want to travel from place to place. You've got people who just want to do weekend excursions going to visit grandma. You've got people who want to take their grandkids. Well, we ask all the hard questions then, starting out with how often are you going to be camping? What are you going to be towing? Do you need to tow it or do you need somebody to move it for you? The other option when we're talking about the grandkids is how often are the grandkids going to be with you? General rule is that if the kids are going to be with you less than 20%, you do not need a bunkhouse like a lot of people think. Because a bunkhouse ends up being wasted space for you unless you're using it for storage the kids aren't sleeping there, and it's more excess weight that's being used. It's, and keep in mind that when you're towing it down the road, it makes the camper longer as well. But if they are with you less than 20%, you can always take a cot, a sleeping bag, whatever the case might be. And again, a lot of times you have the tables or the sleeper sofas that pull out, so there's still sleeping space for grandkids. So once we verify how many people are going to be in the camper, grandkids are going to be with you, or again, if you've got a large family, where are you planning on camping? If you're going to be camping at a, a national park, let's say, one kind of camper that sleeps a lot of people are going to be the hybrids. You can get six to 10 people in a lot of these campers, but because of the soft sides, national parks won't allow them because they are a danger. If you have a bear that sure. might be yeah. looking for food or something, it could be hazardous. So you have to find different options. And also keep in mind, if you're going to national parks, these national parks were built years ago, so having access to a large camper may be kind of difficult. Usually about a 30-foot camper is going to be the max you can take, so you need to keep that in mind as well, depending on how you're planning your travel. If you're doing mountain travel, if it's going to be the two of you, you need to make sure you have something that's very secure. 
We've seen people who have taken a large fifth wheels and they're great as long as you can control it. So the experience of the person who's driving the vehicle is important. So Randy, really, it sounds like a part of your job for yourself and your team here is to really help your customers identify what they envision. Yeah, we uh, have to try to find out uh, where the comfort zone is for the customer as well, because some people you know, may not be too concerned about having an outside kitchen. Some people must have an outside kitchen. Uh, very often we see people who say, I need an outside kitchen. I need sleeping for six people. I need to have a, a queen-size bed. It needs to be in a separate room, but the camper can be no longer than 30 feet long. That's not, good luck. Yeah, that's not all going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, what we try to do, again, is, is try to get the feel for what the customer's needs are, fill those needs, and then we also have them make a list. If it, if it comes down to, well, I can't make up my mind about this or that one. So... Make a list of things that are the items that you need, that you must have, things that you want, and things that'd be great to have but I can live without. Very similar to buying a home or any other really other large purchase of your exactly. family. Yeah. And prioritization is key. I've seen people come in here and say, we've narrowed it down to two campers. Let's go take a look at them. And they leave here and say, we've narrowed it down to five campers. <laughs> so... <laughs> There are a lot of different options that are out there in the trailers. We mentioned the sleeper sofas, the theater seats, some with the power massage and heat, some not. The tables that break down into sleepers as well. That's generally across the board. Most of them have that. Unless you happen to have tables and chairs, you're not going to get that if that's the case. But generally what I see are people who are either A, looking for all of the deluxe amenities, or people who are looking for open space doesn't mean you can't get both. It just might mean that if you get in the open space, you might have to limit the amount of amenities you're going to get. Makes sense. Well, as with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away and hit a Wisconsin destination. And this time we're going to take a road trip to, of course, we're going to take our camper from Greenway Campers to Peninsula State Park. And that's up in beautiful Door County, Wisconsin. That's a little tip up in the northeast part of the state that I frequent quite a bit and a lot of nice scenery up there in the Peninsula State Park. So you're guaranteed a good experience in a state park. In my opinion, there's a lot of things you can do up there. Well, for one thing, they've got 468 campsites and those do fill up. I was going to say, making a reservation at any campsite going forward is really a critical thing. I assume you run into that if somebody says, oh, we're going to start to camp this summer. If they haven't thought forward about making reservations to be able to achieve this goal, it can run into a problem. In many cases, yeah. a full year. Yeah. you got to think ahead. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people end up parking at the Walmart. And stay yeah. There <laughs> Done that. Been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And many other campers at the Walmart. So you're kind of a little community in itself. You just don't tell too many people about it. But yeah, definitely a way you can get around it. A lot of things to do up there at the Peninsula State Park. There's the Eagle Bluff Lighthouse, which is always neat to see. Also, there is a walkway now where you can see out over the peninsula area and the bay. Northern Sky Theater, of course, camping, that's what we're doing. Biking, boating, canoeing, kayaking, fishing, golfing, hiking, you name it. And let's not miss the restaurants and the shopping. Oh, yeah. And the drinking. Oh, yeah. There's some drinks coming Very along with that. Very good options are up there from distilleries to breweries to fantastic food to great stores the arts you already mentioned, but it's just a really yes. wonderful part of our state. It really is. And if you haven't been there, to all of our listeners, you got to get up there. Even if it's just for a date, well, two-day yeah. trip, get up there. A lot of nice hotel accommodations as well. But 
This time we've got our camper. Right. I mean, if you really want to go, you can go all the way up to the north, cross over to Washington Island and go to the Lavender Isle. Yes. They grow lavender, which is actually pretty amazing. It is amazing. It actually smells and looks like lavender in the field. Yes. Where they farm that. Yeah. So back to central Wisconsin, we're ready to hit the road. I think we figured out what kind of camper we're going to buy or going to take, thanks to Randy here at Greenway Campers and RV. It's going to be a pop-up toy hauler, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking, do you have that combination? I'll look at it. (laughs) So now we're talking about towing, and there's a little bit to consider when you're hooking up. Like it said in the beginning, it's not just a hook and go. There's a, a different mindset here. So you really got to start thinking about that vehicle that you're pulling it with. That's got to be up to speed. And I think people kind of refer to you as well when it comes to the tow vehicle. Do you like to see those? We would like to see them, if possible, before they purchase their campers. We can make sure that they are capable of towing what they're looking at. Once that's been decided, then it's a matter of finding the correct hitch. Obviously, if they're going with a travel trailer, they have what's called weight distributions. There are different manufacturers. They've got the style. They have the chain link style on the, what they call the saddles. They also have the L-bracket saddle. Usually, the L-bracket saddle is set up so you have a built-in sway control. You've got a two-point or a four-point sway control. And generally what I look at is if someone's going to be driving around the state of Wisconsin, maybe into the Upper Peninsula, parts of Minnesota, northern Illinois, going with a two-point sway control for them is going to be enough. If you're going to be doing more interstate travel, if you're going to be doing more hill travel, it's a good idea to have a four-point sway control. Nothing's going to take out all the sway control or all the sway that's out there, but it will help you control your camper better if you've got more sway leverage on it. And when it goes to fifth wheels, you do have different kinds of hitches. And to keep in mind that there are different kinds of beds. So you've got an eight-foot bed. Generally, now what they call a standard bed is a six and a half foot. Back when I started out, it was considered to be a short bed. Yeah. And now they've got five foot eight beds. And I mentioned before the Reflection 150 series, they have a special kind of kingpin on it where you take out two bolts and it allows the kingpin itself to swivel. What that does is it allows the trucks that have a five foot eight bed to be able to make a 90 degree turn where you normally oh wouldn't gosh. be able to do that without taking out the window in the back of the truck. Right, right. And also you have what are called slider hitches. So that's available as well for the five foot eight and the six and a half foot beds to keep that camper away from the back window of the truck. So, and again, you have to also have to verify, again, a person's comfort level. If you're willing to spend only a few dollars, you can get a manual style locking hitch, or you can get one that automatically locks if you're willing to spend the extra bucks. It actually is worth it, in my opinion, to get something that's, when you're backing up to it, when the jaws close on the pin, it's latched. You just have to go back and wiggle. Yep, it's locked. Good. Rather than trying to jam it in all the time. Wow. And then it comes loose and the sides of their bed are smashed. We did have one call. <laughs> wasn't a customer of ours, but they called us because we were closest to them. They were kind of panicking. They had a toy hauler that was quite loaded, and they were on a hill, and their camper all of a sudden came loose from oh. their fifth-wheel hitch. Oh. And we were able to send a truck out there and able to lock up the trailer so it wouldn't go down the hill. The key part on a hill. And, and got them out from underneath it and was able to get the camper here and do the necessary repairs. But it can be kind of scary. So it's very important to have the proper equipment. Do you oftentimes do service calls like that out in the field? Or is that just kind of like an anomaly that happened? Well, this was actually an emergency. And actually at that time when it happened, it kind of opened our eyes to the fact that we may have to be available for that. So very much like your company where you've got the emergency vehicles and also do the mobile service, we also have a mobile service van that covers a good chunk of the state. 
Oh, so okay. depending on where our customers happen to be. Now, we do have customers that are way up north where we just can't get to them in a day's time. So unfortunately, we do find other dealerships or even independent RV repair facilities who might be able to go and assist them. So if I buy a vehicle, I have a bet that you have a package that I can additionally purchase for those types of services? Generally, actually, if you are going to be taking your camper, let's say, to where it's going to be permanently parked somewhere, that would be the case. Then we actually give you one-time visit included in the package. There is not, unfortunately, the RV industry, by rule for warranty, they consider because the RV is on wheels, it needs to come into a dealership to be repaired. However, if you're willing to pay for the service to go out to your vehicle, we can still go out there and do the warranty work as necessary. And what we try to do is verify, number one, is it an emergency? Is it something that's keeping you from camping versus this is an annoyance. I can deal with it for a few months until we have like four or five people in the area that need to have repairs. We can get all done at the same time. We can split up the service call. Unaware of that industry existed. Makes total sense. And one thing we are a member of Route 66. Now, unlike the auto industry, the RV industry is quite testy. What I mean by that is that if a dealership did not sell you a camper, they don't feel they have to service you. We don't feel that way. We feel that if a customer comes here looking for service, whether they bought the camper here or not, it's because they need the service. And we know that if we help them, they may be a customer in the future. So that, that makes that logical makes sense. sense. Good business sense. So it just so happened that about 15 years ago or so, there was a group of people who decided that that would obviously make sense in the RV industry. So they started Route 66, where it's about 160 dealerships across the country that if you did not buy the camper there, they still have to treat you as if they did. And if you had break down someplace, Route 66 would call ahead. Here is the closest Route 66 dealership. Get the camper there. They have to get it diagnosed within 24 hours where most of the dealerships would just turn and say, nope, sorry, have a nice day. And at least this way they can find out what the problem is, get it diagnosed, get the repair done, hopefully, and get back on the road. Wow, that sounds great. Of course, we always got to look out for that tow vehicle, too. I mean, you've got us all set up now with that correct hitch, anti-sway and all this, but we really got to look at the tires on that tow vehicle. That I'm assuming a pickup, we're going to talk about a pickup truck here because we're talking about a bigger trailer, camper. So we got to look at the tires, air pressure, make sure that you've got everything on that truck to take care of the truck or car in some cases, the jacks, a spare tire for that as well. Not only that, but you're looking at everything behind that truck as well. So you're looking at the tires on the camper. I mean, you really, there's a lot to do before you hit the road. And one thing, I've always seen a lot of jokes out there about this where people don't secure their things inside the camper too. And and you get to the campsite and some settling occurred, as they say. So you got to look at all those things too. And I'm sure you've heard stories and seen that happen. Oh, yes. One of the scariest things are when you have what's called a rear kitchen camper, an RK, because that puts all of your dishes on the back wall of the camper. So if you picture yourself when you were back in school and you're riding that school bus and you're the backup, (laughs) everybody wants to be the back to feel those bumps. A little more movement back there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. For some reason, dishes don't handle that very well. But that's why I recommend using like plastic dishes rather than glass. There we go. And just be a little bit further ahead. Bottles of wine are busted on the floor when you get there. You you set them on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, and again, making sure everything is secure. And there are a lot of things that happen to have some straps that are included as well, but there are different accessories you can purchase to make things lockable a little better. Most of your compartment doors and your storage cabinets, they have catches on them, so they're going to be secure, first of all. But also make sure that they are secure. If you've got one that feels like it's a little loose, or you've got a screw coming loose, get it adjusted. Don't waste time and have to pay the cost later. One thing as we're walking around the showroom, solar 
that how popular yes. is that amenity on campers? Well, our dear friend COVID made it kind of a uh, necessity. The solar panels, uh, not necessarily campers, but solar panels had been out for quite some time, which were used by the trucking industry for a long time. Having the larger, also 12-volt batteries, when they're in transit from one place to another, if they have a refrigerator in there, they need to keep power to it, even when the vehicle's not running. And then keeping the battery charged, you have a solar uh, unit on top. They started doing that in campers, I would say, probably around 2010, 2012. And what they had mostly was place of a port on the side of the camper. You could plug in a portable solar panel, usually about 80 to 100 watts. And it was just supposed to be designed to be a trickle charge for the battery. About 2017, 2018, they started coming out with 12-volt refrigerators for the RVs. They had a 12-volt refrigerators, again, like I mentioned before, for truckers. They're much smaller, but they came out with the bigger ones. But a lot of these manufacturers who wanted to buy these, these refrigerators were doing it because of the price-cost cuts. And they weren't thinking ahead and saying, okay... You no longer have the backup of propane, which we had in the combo units, and now you have to deal with a battery. If you have no, if let's say you're at a campsite, you're plugged into 110, you're away from your camper, the power goes out, trip the circuit breaker, whatever the case might be. Now you're relying completely on your battery. If that battery drains, you no longer have refrigeration. And if you're gone for longer than a day from your campsite, you come back and all the food has spoiled. So that's not good. And unfortunately, a lot of the manufacturers were not thinking about that when they started putting these refrigerators in. As a matter of fact, Grand Design was one of the companies that said, we will not put 12-volt refrigerators in because there's no way to properly back it up. Then COVID hit and demand for campers went through the roof. Manufacturers for gas electric refrigerators could not keep up. And then they started producing refrigerators that were failing. And then the parts that they had to replace those bad parts also failed. Well, the manufacturers of the campers had to decide, do we wait until they straighten out the situation with these refrigerators, or do we go to a 12-volt refrigerator? Okay, let's go with the 12 volts. Otherwise, we're going to have tens of thousands of campers waiting to be delivered. So they changed over to the 12-volt refrigerators, but now they said, okay, we need to have a backup plan. So the manufacturers, Grand Design, one of them, decided to go with solar panels on the roof. And generally, the smallest ones were 165 watt. And now you get all the campers that are getting up to 300 watts on the roof. And some of them even have inverters to help use 110 power inside the camper, not just for the refrigerator. So they've moved forward a lot with the solar panels. We actually got involved because we saw the demand almost immediately, and we knew that people were going to be coming up short. So we started picking up the lithium-style batteries, and then we started picking up more solar panels, and then setting up customers with their vehicles, not just their campers, but we've had vans in here. We've customized people's vehicles where they can actually plug their vehicle or their camper into their home and run their home if there's a power outage. Interesting. That is cool. That is one thing I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. Matt Ferkey, our owner, he's the guru behind that. And actually, we were recognized in 2022 by the RVIA for doing that and being actually about a step ahead of the curve. So that is oh, neat. I'm glad I asked yeah. that question. Yeah. That was very interesting. Now, Randy, you've helped me identify what kind of camper I need. And you made sure that I'm matched with the vehicle that I'm pulling it with. Now it's all up to me. I got to get out on the road and going down the road with a camper, big, tall sided camper in the wind and curves and backing, no drive through fast food, of course. What do I need to know? And how is this going to go? This is a different deal. Okay. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of blind spots. So you need to try to eliminate those blind spots. One way to do that is to get an extension for the rear mirrors. And another way is a lot of the newer campers actually have a mount on the back for putting a camera in place. Ah. And you can use that with a wireless monitor inside the truck. Unfortunately, 
the truck manufacturers have not gotten together yet with the RV accessory people. It would be nice for a lot of the trucks that they already have the built-in cameras on the trucks to be able to share that with a camera on the back of the camper. Unfortunately, the only way you can do that is to put a wired one in, and that can cause a little bit of chaos as far as getting put in place and making sure you don't have a wire that's going to be charred someplace or get damaged, and all of a sudden you lose what you're trying to see. But with the cameras in the back, when you put your driver's lights on, it turns the camera on. Okay. So you can always see what's behind you. And you also, again, if you get the larger campers, you can get the cameras that have the side marker set up as well. So you can see everything around you. So I would imagine those campers really help when you're backing into that campsite then. You can see what's behind you. You don't have to have all your spotters back there drinking beer. You don't beer. have to worry about Emma <laughs> back there saying, keep coming, keep coming. Wait, no, maybe you should go forward. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of yelling going on when that's happening, and I think some marriages fail at that point. One nice thing, too, I know with some of the larger campers and people are scared to death and thinking about, I'm never going to be able to back this up. But when you have a mirror or mirrors and also the camera back there, they also have, when you're in reverse, they have lights that come on and some of the campers where it lights up the whole back area so you can see everything at night. You don't have to worry about again. Nice. Where's the garbage can? I can see it. It's right there. So fifth wheel and tow behind, pull so much different. Do you? teach people how to drive each one of those? Oh, good question. Do we teach them? No. But how would they learn how to do that then? Instead of trial and error. Hook up and go, man. (laughs) Uh, It's expensive lessons. Exactly. We generally try to find out what the customer's towing history is to see if they've had any towing history. And we try to start them small. There's a lot of people who dream they want to have that big fifth wheel, but it isn't necessarily practical. The the tow behind is so different than a fifth Mm -hmm. wheel. Oh, yes. One nice thing about the fifth wheel is you have better control when you have the weights sitting in the bed of the truck rather than at the back on a ball. But again... It depends on the person, what kind of experience they've had. Most of the people we're seeing looking for campers are people who've had some sort of towing experience. Even if it was with towing a small boat, taking a pontoon someplace, or their little fishing canoe, whatever the case might be, that they got some idea, utility trailers. They have some feel for what to look for behind them. Okay, yep, now you can see their visual. I actually had a customer that purchased a camper, and we went through the show through. We do a very detailed show through, at least that lasts at least 90 minutes, where they're talking about how the camper functioned, what to look for, and make sure you understand everything. Great, everything's understood. And then the paperwork was all done with this customer, and the customer backed their vehicle up, and they hooked up this fifth wheel. It's beautiful. They're all set to go. They check the brake system. Yep, it works great. I don't know. This camper is just too big for me. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so we said, yep, well, it hasn't left our curb yet. It's still a new camper. You can back out if necessary. And it's, wow. again, we appreciate that they were being honest. Yeah. The last thing we wanted was yeah. to have them on the road saying, hey, they sold me this camper and it's too big for me. It's intimidating. Right. It can be. And for some people, one of the things they come in for, their vehicle may be able to tow a camper that's 10,000 pounds. But they look at the length of it and they go, there's no way. I'm not going to touch that camper. 60 feet long. Mm -hmm. It seems that way. It may only be 32 feet long, but it looks like it's 60 feet. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, you got to deal with windy conditions. You get out in the western states where it's just whipping out there and you've got some hills and mountain climbs. In Nebraska. In in Nebraska, yes. There's the wind in Nebraska. And very important as well, you know, we mentioned the weight distribution and that helping control the sway. But like I said, nothing is ever going to take all the sway away. We do troubleshoot with people also over the phone. If you're in a situation where it's windy, obviously, if it's high gale winds, we don't want you traveling, especially if you've never been through that. But obviously, if it's windy, you can feel where the camper is starting to be pushed over. Slow down. That's actually giving you a warning. You you might be going too fast or the weather may be changing faster than you're expecting. And just be aware of your surroundings. So, again, 
most of the campers are designed when you're towing behind a truck that is going to flow properly. You have proper wind going around it. But if you get hit by a wind coming from the side, you have semis maybe passing you, maybe something you're not used to. There's a reason why they got the speed limits. Stay at them or below when you're towing because it gives you better control. Makes total sense. So I got a question about tires. What's your recommendation for covering them to help prevent the cracking? Does that help? With the RV campers, definitely. Because a lot of times the campers are sitting for quite a long time and you're going to have one side possibly facing south and it's going to get more of the sunlight. Over time, of course, you're going to get cracking. And the RV tires are designed to flex more, especially because their axles are so close and you have a dual axle unit. So you see those tires flexing. People are like, gee, how did that tire stay on that bead? Well, it does because the sidewall is designed to flex. But that sidewall is dried out and it's cracking. That flexing is, could also cause it to pop. So yes, definitely. If you have a camper that's going to be sitting for someplace for a long period of time, even if it's over winter and you have an area, especially that's facing to the south, get it covered. I know they got the tire conditioners. I don't recommend that because if you're doing the tire conditioners, you have to make sure you do it all the time. If you don't, it will dry out faster. So do you have covers here for that then, what Brian was mentioning? We had carried covers here, but because there's such a wide variety of sizes, uh, yes. we'd take up a lot of space in the showroom. So we ended up shrinking it down and we basically do it now by order. So if a customer gives us the size of the tire, we can order it. If it's Monday, we can have them here on Thursday. So. Now, Randy, you've been at this a long time. I got to believe you've got some stories you can share with us. You got oh, a couple more? Ones. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. We used to joke about the person who... I went camping and got a squirrel caught up in his awning, but it was a manual awning, and so the awning went back faster than he expected, and the squirrel happened to hop and get caught. It wasn't really pretty. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. Oh. And that's another thing you have to be concerned about. Back when I started, to, I mean, I've only been in the industry for 13 years, but so much has changed in the last 13 years. I mean, when I came in, your standard awning was a manual awning. You were spring-loaded on both sides. Sure. Yep, you had to ratchet it gently and carefully so it wouldn't let go and all of a sudden snap back on you. And you had to make sure the pivot was in the right place. Now it's electric. You put a lever, it's standard. Hit a button, you're done. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, it was just about seven years ago or so where they came out and they had a variety. And they, even the same company could have four or five different varieties. So if they had a problem with an arm and you ordered another arm, well, that didn't fit. I needed another arm and it had to be specific. So they finally got that little more universal. You've seen situations where even jacks up in front used to be all manual crank, and okay, now they've got the power one. The fun thing, we still have campers that have the manual stabilizers. And it's important for customers to understand the difference between stabilizing a camper and leveling a camper. When you are leveling a camper, generally, if you've got an unlevel ground, it's a good idea from left to right to put boards underneath the tires on one side to lift it up, Okay. If your ground is on level and you take your stabilizer jacks and try to crank them to the ground and then try to lift the camper, what happens is all that weight ends up on those little legs that are supposed to stabilize your camper. And if it's on a hill, it's going to bend in the direction that the hill is going, and now you've just destroyed your jack. So you're going to be sleeping on the opposite side of the bed. <laughs> I'm afraid so. What the manufacturers have come out with is a couple of different things. Number one, they do have the power stabilizers which you don't have to crank anymore. They also, of course, because of cordless drills, you can get a bit that will fit on the manual ones and bring them down a lot faster. But they've also gone as far as to put on, now I know that the more deluxe fifth wheels had this for quite some time, the power leveling system. And you can now get that on just about every fifth wheel that's out there. Wow. And now you can even get them on some of the travel trailers where you push a button, you hold the button down, the legs come down, it actually lifts the camper off the ground. 
up to 10,000 pounds on a travel trailer and you're done in about 35 seconds. And it's leveling it automatically. Correct. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so the eggs stay in the middle of the pan, not go to the side. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that's that's one of the major changes we've seen. Wow. One of the funniest stories was the service advisor here first. We had a customer who came in and said, I need to get a, an estimate for repair on the side of my camper. Okay. And he showed us the side of this camper. He's got this big hole in the side. Okay. What happened here? Well, one of my neighbors was drinking a little too heavy. And he said, hey, guys, let me see if I can jump my snowmobile over this camper. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, or didn't make it? No, he made. It. He had. To, he had to pay the bill. <laughs> he was still alive. Yeah, I think he would have bought the camper if that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we also had a customer who came through. They had actually purchased the camper somewhere else, and it was a large, more deluxe camper. And their insurance company told them to stop here to have us do an estimate on the repair. They had bought the camper in the cross, and they took their nine-year-old granddaughter for her first camping trip that night. They had tornado warnings. And they got hit by a storm. They came here. I walked around the camper, could not see any problems on the camper. So I climbed the ladder, get up on the roof, looking at the roof, and it appears to be okay, but there's a little bit of a shadow right near my feet. So I look down, and here is a gap about the size of a grapefruit that's pivoted into the roof. It's actually pitted in there. And I start looking at the roof, and I find 31 of these. And what happened was they had grapefruit size hail. Oh my gosh. That hit the camper. This is a camper that was purchased literally days before, and the insurance company totaled the camper. Now, most of your fiberglass is going to handle that with no problem. The roof, though, is going to be wood. Usually, it's going to be half-inch or five-eighths or three-quarter-inch plywood that they have wrapped on the, on the top. And if that happens to get hammered too hard, well, <laughs> in this case, it was. I do remember one time a storm went through, and a customer had a tree fall on their trailer, went through their roof. But the customers themselves were shocked by the quality of the wall. The wall actually held the tree up. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the campers are built well, but, you know, Mother Nature has a tendency to want to fight back. Mother Nature can win. Mother Nature can win. Absolutely. One of the most strange things, we had a customer who came in and said they couldn't figure out why the aluminum siding on one side of the camper was popping off. And so I was taking a peek at that, and I thought it was kind of strange. It's just on the top, it's popping. And see that no matter how much tucking you do, it's always going to keep on popping out. So I thought I'd take a peek down below, and I found that the frame was actually bent, kind of curved from front to rear. And they were about at the same point, but there was this big lope. So I asked the customer if the camper was in any kind of storm. They said not that they knew of. I said, okay, because it looks to me like this camper could have been wrapped around a tree. And they said, well, that makes sense now because the camper seemed to be at a 90-degree angle from where we left it. So it did wrap around a tree. Oh, my God. (laughs) So they had to total that camper because the frame was bent. Oh, wow. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Again, sometimes it isn't just Mother Nature who's the issue. We had a customer who purchased a camper from us. We showed them all the deluxe things about it. We hoped that they paid attention. And that was on a Friday or Saturday. On a Monday, they came in. They were very angry, demanded to get their money back for their camper because we sold them a piece of garbage. They had tried filling their water tank, and they had water gushing all over the place. Now, that's a terrible thing. So the other service advisor that was here went out to the camper. He wanted to take a look, and he hooks up a hose in the shop, brings it out, and he's going to connect it to the water system. The customer says, no, not there. Over there towards the back. That's not the water tank, sir. That's your black tank flush. <laughs> What had happened was the black tank flush on the camper, how they're designed is that when you're at a a dump station, you dump your black tank and because your gate valve is open, 
you can now put a water hose to the black tank flush, which basically pressurizes inside the tank and flushes it out and does a pressure wash inside. Well, obviously, he didn't have a gate valve open, and he thought he was filling the fresh water tank, and he was actually building pressure up inside his black tank and caused the black tank to explode. The good news for it was it was a brand new camper, so it's never been used. So his camper was not a total loss. It uh. turned out it was an insurance claim, and he had to replace his black tank. But he did ask us not to tell his wife. <laughs> she came in and, and she thanked us for our, our understanding and just looked at him and shook her head oh. <laughs> well randy a huge thanks to you and greenway rv for joining us in Cheryl tires all about the car podcast oh, our pleasure and for all of our listeners out there enjoy the journey we hope to have you right along next time on all about the car to listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time.